Well, good evening. It's good to have you with us and uh, add my welcome to you this evening. Can I just say that at the end of our service, there'll be some refreshments served. So please don't run off. Uh, do stay for some refreshment. And also for those of you who are regularly here, who often take it upon yourselves to start clearing chairs away. We don't need to do that this week. So the chairs can all stay where they are. And you can just stand and uh, chat to people. And if you see some people who are visiting, there are a few visitors here this evening. It's particularly good to have you with us. Uh, please make sure you make them feel welcome amongst us this evening. Sometimes people manage to do things which until they do it, the world actually thinks it's impossible to do. A few examples. People used to think that it was impossible to run the distance of one mile in under four minutes. But then on the 6th of May in 1954, Roger Bannister did the impossible. And if you know your athletics, they're nearer to three minutes now than they are to four. In his book published in 1873, the author Jules Verne created a character by the name of Phileas Fogg. And he took up a challenge in that story to travel right around the world in 80 days. Now, back in 1873, that would have seemed an impossible task. But, of course, nowadays you can fly right around the world in less than 48 hours. And being faced with a seemingly impossible task has, of course, been the basis of many novels and films. And in most of them, the hero or the heroine overcomes all of the obstacles in order to achieve the goal. Now, if you take time to read through the Bible, you'll very quickly discover that God reveals himself as one who is able to do all kinds of things which either seem impossible to you and I, or actually they really are impossible to you and I. Scientists today, well, they have a, quite a clear understanding as to what is necessary for living things to actually be alive. They can see and understand how living things produce new living things, how new life is able to come from existing life. But as far as I know, they're still scratching their heads to work out whether it's possible for them from nothing to create life the way God did. They've got theories. As far as I know, they've never been able to do it. They have suggestions as to how life may have started by accident. But even with their vast knowledge, for them it's proving impossible. Yet in the opening verses of the Bible, we're confronted with a God who, from nothing, produces all living things. With God, it is possible. The proof is all around us. And in the New Testament, countless numbers of witnesses saw Jesus Christ demonstrate that same power to do the seemingly impossible. They saw it in many of the miracles that he did. And of course, these kinds of things today are routinely dismissed and rejected by many people. 
But I always find it's very interesting to observe that those people who dismiss these kinds of things, when they're faced with a real dilemma in their lives, they suddenly find that calling out to God might actually be worth a try. Suddenly, they will welcome the offer from a Christian to pray when perhaps ordinarily they wouldn't really entertain such an idea. I wonder why that is. When those dilemmas of life hit us, why is it that people are willing to call out because maybe there is a God up there who can help me? It's because they know they need a miracle. And they know that there is a God who has the power to do it. They suppress that truth for most of the time. But when things get really desperate, their true knowledge actually shows itself. It may only be temporary, and it prompts them to call out to the God who is able to do the impossible. They might not quite be sure whether it's going to do any good, but they're still prepared to call out to him. I find that very interesting. Right through the whole Bible, we're faced with example after example of God being able to do that which is impossible for us to do. So as you read through the Old Testament, you've got things like the plagues in Egypt as Moses was preparing to lead the Israelites out of their slavery in Egypt. There's the manna which kept them alive in the wilderness for 40 years. And did you know the Bible also tells us that their clothes never wore out? 40 years? The walls of Jericho came crashing down. There's all kinds of miracles done, even in the Old Testament, especially like men like Elijah and Elisha. A bin of flour and a jug of oil which never ran out during the time of a famine. A widow's son who was raised from the dead. Fire that God sent down from heaven to burn up a sacrifice. But the pagan people and all of their priests had never been able to do that because it was impossible for men to do, but it wasn't impossible for God. A Syrian army commander Naaman healed of leprosy and the conclusion of all of that is reached in the New Testament and is all found in the Lord Jesus Christ you see the story of Christmas reminds us of the God for whom nothing is impossible it's a wonderful story of real events in earth's history in which God has shown us just how great his love and his compassion and his mercy really is. And in it, we discover the God who has done for us that which is impossible for us to do for ourselves. And I want to talk about three things this evening. Here's the first of them. In the Christmas story, we're confronted with an impossible birth. Of course, it's not actually the birth that's impossible. It's the way the baby was conceived that's impossible. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 37 that we read earlier, we found the, the angel saying to Mary, for with God, nothing will be impossible. The story of God coming into the world himself in the form of a man is a most remarkable thing. 
It's a unique thing. Now, I don't have time this evening to go into all the ins and outs of why it was that God came into the world in that way, but I'll touch on a few of them as we go through this message. In Matthew's gospel earlier, we read that the angel instructed Joseph and Mary to give their baby the name of Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, back in the Old Testament, before these things happened, God has shown us very, very clearly that sin is a very severe thing in God's eyes. And it deserves the most severe punishment. And in the Old Testament, we see that God establishes this system of animal sacrifice. Animals must be killed and sacrificed. And you might think, well, that's a really awful and horrible thing. And it is. But you see, sin is an awful and horrible thing in the eyes of God. And he can't take it lightly. But in that same thing, we also see that God is kind and God is merciful and God is compassionate because God is ready to forgive sin. But sin must still receive its due punishment. And those sacrifices in the Old Testament show us that God is prepared for an for another to die in the place of sinners so that we may be forgiven. And that's very good news. However, in those Old Testament sacrifices, you couldn't use just any old animal as a sacrifice. A farmer couldn't take his 30-year-old cow that's not going to give another drop of milk and is on its last legs, literally, and use that for sacrifice. That will never do. Only certain types of animals could be used, and only the very best could be used. You had to go and find the, the animal that was in the best physical condition. The, the phrase that's used in the Bible is without spot and blemish. The, the very best of his flocks and herds had to be used for sacrifice. Now, when God came into the world in the form of man, in the person of Jesus, from the very beginning, it was God's intention that Jesus would die on a Roman cross as the once-for-all sacrifice to pay the penalty for all sin. No more sacrifices would ever be needed after him. No more animals would need to die after Christ has died for sinners. But just as the animals that were used in the Old Testament had to be the very best without blemish, Jesus as a man also has to live up to the very highest standard as a reflection of what happened in the Old Testament. And that standard is so high that if any man is going to die in the place of other sinners, then the one who's going to be the sacrifice must have no sin of his own. Jesus would need to be without any sin. If Jesus is to stand in the place of sinners as their saviour, he can have no sin of his own. 
Because if he did have sin of his own, he himself would need a saviour, wouldn't he? But he has no sin of his own. And therein lies a dilemma. Let me explain. The Bible teaches that since Adam and Eve, a sinful nature has been passed down from generation to generation. My mum and dad were both born with a sinful nature and separated from God. And I was born into that same condition. I have three sons and they've inherited that same condition from me and Debbie. It looks something like this. Let me put a slide up for you. The Bible teaches that all of you, all of you have inherited this same condition from your parents. It's been handed down from you, from them to you. And if you're someone who's got children, it's been handed down through you to your children. And if you've got grandchildren, it's been handed down through your children to your grandchildren. All of us have this sinful condition, this sinful nature, this sinful heart, which separates us from God. The Bible also tells us on the right-hand side of that diagram that Adam, being the representative head of all mankind, he bears a particular blame and responsibility in this. We are all, says the Bible, sons of Adam. Just as he sinned, so we are sinful before God. Now, why is this important in the, Christ, in the Christmas story? Well, if Jesus is going to bear our sins as a sacrifice, just like those Old Testament animals, he must be without blemish. He must be without sin. But this pattern of a sinful nature being carried down through all the generations is in place and if Jesus is to be without sin that pattern has to be broken he can't be like this he has to be different to you and I and that pattern was broken and Jesus is different because Jesus had no earthly father and that's crucial now, he had a very real and literal mother in Mary. And contrary to what some teach, the doctrine of the Bible is very clear that although uh, Mary was a very wonderful woman, she was not without sin. Because in her song that she sings, that's recorded in Luke's Gospel, she rejoices in God, her Saviour, because she knows she needs a saviour too. But you see, because Jesus had no earthly father, this paternal line back to Adam has been broken. In God's economy, in spiritual things, there is this headship that fathers have in homes. And it's been broken. Christ is is going to be born literally of God in Mary. God the Holy Spirit, as we saw in our readings, and you know those passages so well, 
God, by his spirit, moved in Mary's body and caused this baby to be formed within her. And because of that, Jesus did not have that sinful nature that we all receive. Because he is born of God in Mary. He's fully God and fully man. But he's without sin. Jesus is going to live a sinless life. More of that a bit later. But this pattern has been broken. And as the angel gives Mary this astonishing news of what's about to happen, before Mary even has time to doubt or question what's being said, the angel tells her about her older relative, Elizabeth. You can read about that in the earlier parts of Luke's gospel account. Elizabeth has never been able to have any children And now she's so old, she's never going to have any children. Everybody knows that. But she is going to have a child. And in just three months' time, she's going to have a baby boy. And we will know that boy to be John the Baptist. Mary, God is going to do a wonderful thing in you. And you can go and see your relative Elizabeth right now. And all the evidence will be right in front of your eyes. Ask her to turn sideways on and you'll see. She's six months pregnant. Because God can do the impossible. And I've already done it in Elizabeth. And I'm doing it right now in you. Because with God, nothing will be impossible. Now today, of course, many will say that this miraculous conception inside of Mary without any physical contact with a man, well, this this is nonsense. This is the stuff of fairy tales. This is not possible. This is an impossible birth. For us, yes. For God, no. Because nothing will be impossible with God the story of Christmas is a story of God moving in a special way in order to do something for us that we could never do for ourselves it's impossible for us but it's not impossible for God and this Jesus who had an impossible birth He's going to live an impossible life. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 11, we read these words. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, I mentioned sin just before. Lots of people are very offended by the suggestion that in God's eyes, they're sinful. Uh, We have very proud hearts and we don't take too kindly to being criticised like that. But the Bible tells us we are all born in sin. But this verse in Hebrews, we're told that if you're not living by faith in God, it's impossible to live a life that pleases God. And because we're sinful, in our sin we don't have faith. And so we cannot and we do not please God. Now, if you're someone who thinks that because of the way you manage to live, you are living a life that pleases God, well, I'm sorry to burst your bubble. 
But none of us can live a life that pleases God whilst we're outside of God. But what is impossible for us is not impossible for God. Now, Jesus, as we've seen, was born in a way that separates him from the rest of humanity. Conceived in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit, he does not have the sinful nature with which you and I were born. And so Christ is born without sin, and now he will live the rest of his life without sin. He's going to live the impossible life. The life that's impossible for you and the life that's impossible for me, Jesus will do because it's not impossible with God. Now, Jesus had all the same emotions, all the same temptations that we have. Yet he remains without sin. And here's the proof. At the age of 30, as he was about to embark on his three years of special ministry in this world before he died, God spoke as Jesus had been baptised by John the Baptist. This is my beloved son. Then what does he say? In whom I am well pleased, completely pleased. Here is the one man on the face of the planet with whom I am completely pleased. From the moment of his birth, everything about him has pleased me. Now Christ is unique in that regard. There's none like him. And this sinless life of Jesus is very important, as we'll see in a few minutes. Now, he was a man of perfect faith in his heavenly Father. And to live a life from birth without sin and so be pleasing to God? Impossible. Well, for you and me, anyway. But with God, nothing will be impossible. So the birth of Jesus is an impossible birth. But it's true. And the life of Jesus is an impossible life. But it's true. One final point. At the end of his life, he secured for you and he secured for me an impossible salvation. Because he has done something that you and I could never do for ourselves. But with God, nothing is impossible. Now, Mark chapter 10, verse 27. Because you see, the great thing about the Bible is we go all through the scriptures and we keep finding these unifying themes all the way through. Mark chapter 10 at verse 27, we find these words being spoken by Christ himself. With men, it is impossible talk about what it is in a moment but not with God for with God all things are possible well what's been going on in Mark chapter 10 well Jesus has just had a conversation with a man who is described if you read the account across the gospels they all record certain uh, different things and you put them all together we discover that this man is a rich young ruler oh what a man a rich, young ruler. He's got everything that everyone's looking for. He's got money. Oh, lots of money. Plenty of money. Let's make lots of money. He's got it. He has youth. 
Oh, to be young again. To be forever young. To have no wrinkles. To have no disintegrating joints. Nothing deteriorating. Never losing the flush and vigour of youth. Wouldn't that be glorious? Well, some people seem to think so because that's what they're aiming for. Oh, to forever live in your prime. And he's a man of position and power. He's a ruler. He's a someone. Oh, to be a somebody instead of a nobody. He's a somebody. He has rank. He has status. He has influence. And he's young and he's loaded. Here's the man with everything. And yet... The man who has everything still knows that he lacks something. And the very thing that he already has, his money, and especially his love of his money, that's actually keeping him from the one thing that he does not have. Eternal life. He's got everything that people hope for, for now. But he has no hope for then. None. And we're told that he turns his back on Jesus and he walks away very sad and grieving. And Jesus lets him go because he's been told what he needs to know. There's nothing more to be said. And Jesus said to his disciples after that man had left, you know, it's virtually impossible for someone like him to be saved. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a man like him to be saved. Well, his disciples are despairing at hearing that as they watch this man retreat from their view. And they think to themselves, well, who, who then can be saved? If there's no hope for the likes of him, then frankly... How can anyone get saved? You're right, says Jesus. It's impossible. Well, not exactly. Impossible for a man or a woman. But not impossible for God. Because it isn't we who save ourselves. God saves us in Christ the message of Christmas is that Jesus came into the world in an impossible way to live an impossible life to do for us what is impossible for us to do for ourselves it looks a bit like this next slide now on the left hand side there there's what I've already said to you the fact that from Adam, we all continue in sin, just like him. That word imputation, it's kind of like the opposite of amputation. When something is amputated, something that was part of you is removed so that it's no longer part of you. That's amputation. 
with imputation, something that was not part of you is made part of you and becomes part of you. Adam's sin has been imputed to us. It's part of you. It's part of me. You were born that way. But then you see, there's two great things. On the cross is this man who is God. This man who had an impossible birth and who has lived an impossible life. Because with God all things are possible. And this man who was the sinless and perfect lamb and sacrifice has gone to the cross for sinners. All my guilt, all my shame, all my wickedness and all my filth, all of God's judgment and condemnation that should fall upon me is all placed upon the sinless one as my substitute. And the penalty for sin is paid by Christ instead of me. And I now can be cleansed and pardoned and forgiven. Because of one who had an impossible birth and lived an impossible life in order that for me and for you he can achieve an impossible salvation. And that's only half the story. Because you see, this Jesus lived a perfect and righteous life. There's no sin in him. And in exactly the same way that my sin has been imputed onto Christ, Christ's righteousness is imputed to me. It's not my righteousness. I don't have any. That's impossible. But God imputes Christ's righteousness to me. The righteousness that Christ has secured through his sinless life is accounted by God as being mine. Now, Christian people are not perfect and sinless. If you know one, you'll know that's true. But Christians no longer stand guilty before God. Christians no longer stand condemned before God because Christ has already been there for us. And in Christ, God declares me, a rotten sinner, to be forgiven and renewed and clean. And because God accepts me like that, I see in the Bible that he does it because he accepts Christ, who's the sinless one. I now have the righteousness of Christ as a Christian and I'm acceptable before God. God makes the impossible possible. How can a guilty, condemned sinner dare to stand before God? In Christ. God has made the impossible possible. In Christ Jesus. The hymn writer Philip Bliss wrote these words. Bearing shame and scoffing rude in my place condemned he stood sealed my pardon with his blood hallelujah what a savior guilty vile and helpless we spotless lamb of god was he full atonement 
Can it be? Hallelujah. What a saviour. Because God has made the impossible possible in the Lord Jesus Christ. He secured for us an impossible salvation. But he's God. It's not impossible to him. And this salvation, this reconciling work of Christ, to know that all of my sins have been put upon Christ and to know that before God now, he sees me as one who just has the righteousness of Christ. How do I appropriate that for myself? How do I take hold of that? How do I make sure that I'm included in that? How can I know for certain that what I can see on that slide before, that's true for me. He died for me. And I have his righteousness now before a holy God. And God has done for me the impossible in Christ. How can you have that? How can you know? Number one, agree with the Bible about your sin. Agree with the Bible about your sin and confess it before him. Acknowledge your guilt. Acknowledge your need of a saviour and turn away from your sin and turn to Christ to follow after him by faith as your saviour and your Lord. By that faith, God brings that cleansing. He brings that forgiveness. He rids every sin. He makes us right with his heavenly Father. And with such a faith as that, now, in Christ, with Christ's righteousness upon you, now you can live a life that is pleasing to God. Because it's not you on your own in your sin anymore. It's you in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who's borne your sin and the one whose righteousness you now have. Every Christmas time, we remember that God is the God of the impossible. And this Christmas time, if you will turn to Christ and trust him, he will do the impossible for you.